Namada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachete Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishate Filled with Brahman are the things we see. Filled with Brahman are the things we see not. From Brahman flows all that is. From Brahman all, yet it remains the same. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Peace, peace. Peace be unto us all and unto all living beings. The topic this morning is Holy Mother, Our Divine Mystery. In the Gita, we read that the Blessed Lord said, When goodness grows weak, when evil increases, I make myself a body. In every age, I come back to deliver the holy, to destroy the sin of the sinner, and to establish righteousness. For those of us who are devotees of Sri Ramakrishna and Holy Mother and Swami Vivekananda, we believe that the Divine Lord has come to us in the form of Sri Ramakrishna and Holy Mother. They've come to us and through their lives and teachings, they show us the spiritual practices that provide the spiritual antidotes for the particular problems of our time. If we look at the life and teachings of Sri Ramakrishna, we see in a world that was going to become increasingly secular, his intense spiritual practices and realizations showed that these truths are still valid. In a world where scientific method was going to become the criteria for evaluating truth, Sri Ramakrishna shows that religion is not just superstition, not just blind faith, that through intensive spiritual practice under qualified guidance, the truths of religion are actually provable. And in a world that was going to become increasingly materialistic, it's not that greed has not always been with us, but individual greed is now fueled by corporate greed and mass production of consumer products. One only has to look at the infinite number of advertisements that one sees everywhere for Christmas to uh, realize this is so. And this mass production has bring, brought our desire to levels that was really inconceivable in village society. This ability to desire and to acquire such a huge variety of material things is something that is comparatively recent. If we lived a hundred years ago, we may have had a stable of beautiful horses and some carriages. Now we can have the horses, the carriages, the fleet of cars, the yacht, and if you've really made it, the private jet. <laughs> Sri Ramakrishna, in this potential environment, taught us to lessen our desires as much as possible, to live lives of simplicity so that our minds can be left free for spiritual practice. In an era where sexuality was to be increasingly freed from the consequence of procreation, 
And sexual obsessions could be much more easily indulged through the internet and modern entertainment, Sri Ramakrishna preached sexual purity. In a world that was going to be racked with interreligious conflict, he taught the harmony of religions. We see the rise of the ecological movement when we're beginning to understand the interconnectedness of all aspects of nature. And he taught the underlying unity and sacredness of all creation, stressing that God has become all this. And every aspect of our world is a manifestation of the Divine Mother and should be treated as such. If we look at the life of Swami Vivekananda, we see in a world that was to become increasingly democratic, primarily through major social unrest and revolution, Swami Vivekananda democratized the spiritual heritage and treasures of India. As a wandering monk going around India and actually the whole world, teaching the profound truths of Vedanta to all, not just to a spiritual elite. He stressed that all people were not just some cogs in a labor machine for the rich or powerful, but beings of infinite spiritual potential. And he provided a three-part spiritual solution to the social and economical uh, problems of this time. The first being to relieve the physical needs with food and medicine, the second to provide education, and the third to awaken the spiritual consciousness of all people because only then would all misery and suffering truly be finished forever. And in a world that was going to become increasingly global, Swami Vivekananda made Hinduism an export religion. So when we look at the lives of Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda, it's comparatively easy to see how they provided the spiritual guidance and solutions for the major issues of our era. But at first sight, when we look at the life of Holy Mother, it's more difficult. In an era where women's lives were to change so radically, economically, educationally, and politically, the Divine Mother seemingly chose a very paradoxical and old-fashioned model for this era. She was, Holy Mother was married at five years old. She, although she could read a little bit, she was illiterate. She would receive things with her thumbprint. She was so shy about going to the bathroom, because of course they had to go outdoors to do it then, that it caused her, she just held it until the point she had health problems. And she was so modest that most men only saw her big toe. She was veiled even in front of her husband. She didn't talk directly to most men, but she'd whisper her answers to an older woman, and the older woman would convey it. Even the thing that would have given her some prestige, and certainly in village life, to be the mother of sons, she chose not to do. Now, so for some people, frankly, probably more men than women, this is an appealing model. Holy Mother, her shyness, her modesty, a woman who hardly says anything. <laughs> but I'm afraid if you want this kind of model eulogized, this is more a lecture for a monk than for a nun. For most modern women, it's not that this is not appealing, it's just simply not relevant given the modern lives that most women live today. So how can she be a model for our spiritual lives in this age?
to say this is why she's the model, to imply that we understand the mind of Holy Mother would obviously be presumptuous and arrogant, and I'm not going to do this. But there's a very beautiful medieval Christian prayer. O magnificent mystery, that Christ was born among the beasts of the stable. And this is our magnificent mystery, that the Divine Mother of the universe at this time and in this age chose to take this seemingly very old-fashioned model. In the Bhagavad Gita, it says, he who knows the nature of my task and holy birth is not reborn when he leaves this body. He comes to me. So today, I wanted to take a little time together to meditate on the divine mystery of the life and teachings of Holy Mother so we can enhance our own spiritual life and practice. Throughout almost the whole of history, in both India and in the West, there's been a complete disconnect between how the feminine aspect of the divine is worshipped and how ordinary women, particularly the widowed or the poor or the powerless, are regarded and treated. In Europe during the medieval period, while beautiful cathedrals were being built to the Virgin Mary, the theologians were debating whether women had souls or not. And in India, Swami Vivekananda, as well as modern anthropologists and sociologists, repeatedly point out that although God has been worshipped as the divine mother of the universe through the forms of many goddesses for thousands of years, her living representations have not been similarly honoured. When I was in Kamapokor in my last trip to India, I was there for Holi, and we were all having such fun throwing coloured colored powders at each other and I struck up a conversation with the lady next to me and we got talking and I said oh do you have any children she said yes I have three children and I said to her oh boys or girls and her whole body took on this language of shame and she said I have three girls and I said to her how very auspicious and she looked at me and said we don't think of it that way. And I said, we do, because the Divine Mother has been born three times in your family. One, in my opinion anyway, one of the major purposes of Sri Ramakrishna Holy Mother's and Swamiji's divine play was to reconcile this disconnect between the iconographic form of the Divine Mother and her living manifestations. By Holy Mother choosing to come in this very hidden form, it helps us to understand two things with greater clarity. The first, that even the simplest, illiterate, shy form of women should be regarded and treated as manifestations of the Divine Mother. Sri Ramakrishna worshipped Holy Mother not as the little Kumari, but as the full Shodashi, the fully mature woman. Once, when Holy Mother was staying at Balaram Bose's house, some young girls came to see her. And sitting in the forecourt of the house, there was a sadhu. And when the girls came in, he said, Mother, do I please you? Mother, do I please you? 
and frankly, they thought he was a bit peculiar, so they kind of steered around him and went to the inner apartments. But they told Holy Mother about what had happened, and she said, there's a story behind this. This sadhu is a great worshiper of the Divine Mother. He did austerities for years, and every lots and lots of japam. And every day he would pray, Mother, please reveal yourself to me. Please reveal yourself to me. This went on for many years. One day, he was taking his bath, as they do there in the river. And he was taking his bath. And a young girl came to do her laundry. And those of you who've seen laundry in India, scrub, 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 splat, splat with the clothes. And she splashed the sadhu. Well, he sat there. He was irritated, but he didn't say anything. He went on with his bath. But the next day, it happened again. And by this time, he was getting very irritated. But she happily did her laundry, splat, splat. But the third day, when it happened again, he couldn't contain himself. And he said to her, you know, what are you doing? Hasn't anyone taught you anything? I'm a sadhu. You shouldn't be splashing me with your dirty laundry. I'm trying to have my bath here. There's a whole river. You could have gone up and had it anywhere else. And the girl didn't say anything. She just smiled and took her clothing and went away. That night, the sadhu once again did his prayers. Mother, please reveal yourself to me. And the shining form of this young girl appeared to him. And she said, I came to you, and you rebuked me and drove me away. So I'm leaving now. <laughs> and Holy Mother said, this child of mine has a strong temper. That's why the Divine Mother couldn't tolerate him. She returned to her abode even after coming down to earth to meet the sadhu. The worship of mother on one hand is very easy. On the other, it is very difficult. One should not behave unjustly towards any woman. One should not neglect any woman, especially young girls. Who knows when or in what form the Divine Mother will come to test you. I think one of the other reasons that Mother chose to manifest her divinity through someone who was uneducated and poor is that it brings into focus that the essential value of each woman is not her education or her political power or her economic power or whether she thinks of herself as a teacher or a lawyer or a mother or whatever nationality or whether she thinks of herself as beautiful or fat or ugly. These are all false senses of identity. Her true sense of identity is her sacred sense of identity, either seen in terms of her relationship with God or with union with Brahman. And this is the real basis for the transformation of women, is this spiritual treasure that lies within. This, as Sri Ramakrishna said, is the one. All the things that women have gone on to accomplish, they become the zeros, and they certainly have value. But the thing that gives it the value is this spirituality. And realizing and manifesting this, whatever the external circumstances of your life, 
This is what makes our life become a blessing and a blessing for everyone we come in contact with. Had mother been highly educated or done all the things which I'm sure she could have done, it would have been too easy to say, ah, this is, this is the thing we need, is education. But she wanted to show, no, it's this ideal of the spirituality within, not any external things. Both Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda, the length of their mission was comparatively short. They also had rather special circumstances. Sri Ramakrishna was a priest in a temple and spent most of his life in ecstasy and samadhi, certainly from the accounts we read. And Swami Vivekananda was a monk. Now, frankly, we expect monks and we expect priests to focus on spiritual life and practice. If they don't, then it's a defect. But they left Holy Mother behind. When my grandmother went out to India as a young bride in about 1910, she never spoke of being a housewife. She always spoke about managing the household. And frankly, I think this is a much more realistic assessment. I think with our modern perspective, we have perhaps lost the concept of how difficult it was to manage a household 100 years ago. Holy Mother, in addition to her spiritual practices and the increasing responsibilities as a guru, was also responsible for managing the running of a, every aspect of a very large multi-generational family complex. It had monks, family members, adults and babies, and even various employees, such as the field workers when she was in Jairambati. And almost everything had to be grown or manufactured from scratch. If you wanted a light, you had to make the oil, make the wick, find something to strike it with. If you wanted fuel, you had to go and do your cow dung patties. And if you wanted water, you had to haul it from the pond. She was not only this, but she was the supervisory chef for increasing numbers of visitors and disciples. And they didn't just think, ah, I'm with mother, whatever she chooses to give me. A lot of them felt, I'm with mother, I want this, I want that. And Holy Mother always tried to accommodate them. She supervised the agricultural aspects of her family home. All of this requires training and skills in a wide variety of areas, and physically is absolutely grueling. There's a reason our grandmothers never needed to go to the gym to get their exercise. So although Holy Mother didn't go out and have a job, her work was hard and it was complex. Her health was poor, this was bad malaria areas, and very often the water was polluted. As anyone who's ever had to ma actually manage either a family or any kind of large business enterprise knows, the most difficult challenge is the personnel problems. And Holy Mother, had no, was no exception to this. There is the well-known story of the monks who were all very patriotic and at a time when India was fighting for its nationalism, and they liked hand-spun khadi. So when they were sent out to buy the cloth for the household, they bought hand-spun khadi. But the ladies of the household wanted something a little bit more refined than hand-spun khadi and complain to Holy Mother. And Holy Mother's skill in handling it, she didn't send the monks out for the cloth again. She spent people who would get something that the ladies were more happy with. She had family problems. 
Her sister-in-law and niece were mentally ill, sometimes to the point of violence. And dealing with sickness, grief, and disappointment, her brothers were known to be incompetent and frankly greedy. So we need to keep this setting in mind when we look at the spiritual teachings and practices of Holy Mother. So, and because of this, Holy Mother is very much an example for modern women, but not just, of course, modern women, but also all spiritual aspirants. It's as if Ramakrishna and Swamiji prepared the canvas and painted the outline. But when we want to see the details, it's Holy Mother that shows us how to put the principles that Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda taught into daily practice in the circumstances of our daily lives. Tako stresses that we should adopt some bhava, an intimate loving relationship with God, whether it's the child of God, the friend of God, whatever relationship you have. And this relationship should pervade every aspect of our practice. We see in the life of Holy Mother the adoption of this bhava. For her, her whole life was absorbed in Sri Ramakrishna. Everything reminded her of something Tako had done or said. It was a very intimate relationship. When the rice spilt at the, in the train station, she just took something off the top and said, look, this is the best we can do today, and offered it to Sri Ramakrishna. Although the ultimate spiritual success is dependent on the grace of God, we remove the obstacles to that grace through spiritual practice. Hard work is necessary. And as for all good work, perseverance and tenacity is also necessary. Holy Mother didn't stress philosophical reasoning, but she did stress daily spiritual practice. She used to say, everybody is going to eat. We'll all attain liberation. But those who work and cook their food early in the morning will eat earlier. She stressed japa, meditation and prayer should be done at least once in the morning, once in the evening, preferably at a, regularly at a fixed time. But she understood that sometimes one would be so busy that it was very difficult. So she said, look, when those times come, at least remember God once in the morning and once in the evening and bow down. She used to tell people that in the evening they should evaluate their day, not in terms of being critical or getting down on yourself, but to see, have I progressed since yesterday? What could I do better? How could I make my spiritual life and practice even more fruitful? She particularly stressed japa and said that you shouldn't take the name of God mechanically, but with love and sincerity and self-surrender, that japa purifies the body and removes worldliness from the mind. Holy Mother was very patient with people, but when people would complain, as they frequently did, hoping, I think, for the easy way out, our mother will just take care of it all for me, they would come and complain, oh, my mind is so restless. She used to say, if they did 15 or 20,000 japa a day, their minds would settle down quite quickly. A lady came to Holy Mother and said, look, I have household duties all day. Her life was not under her control. Holy Mother said, do your japa while you're doing your household duties. Many of us live very busy lives, but we have mechanical jobs, even if it's only taking our shower in the morning, when we can train the mind to use that for japam. 
Most of us have waiting times, whether it's being stuck in traffic or waiting for a medical appointment or even just waiting in line at the supermarket. Opportunities that we can explore and try and train our minds to do japam, even though our lives may be very busy. And if we do this, particularly if we're doing it in things like the supermarket, not only is this a gift to ourselves, but we're silently giving a gift to everybody around us. Those who approached mother with sincerity, no matter what they'd done, received her compassion. But those who were just lazy, who expected results, but didn't do anything, they didn't have, she didn't have much patience with these people. She said, people complain that they don't have time for spiritual practice, how hard I worked. Still, I did my mantra 100,000 times a day. Holy Mother takes away our excuses. When meditating, she says that we should visualize the figure of meditation from the feet on upwards. Regulate our breath to make the mind steady. She very strongly felt that it would be better to do a couple of minutes of focused meditation than sit there for two hours with the mind wandering all over the place. And on days when meditation is difficult, she advised to return to chop up or get up and do selfless service. But Holy Mother assures us with practice and japam, the mind will settle down. Like Sri Ramakrishna, she stressed that we should focus on our own spiritual practice and not go around worrying what's the matter with somebody else's spiritual practice. That we should also respect the practices of others. She taught that one's own spiritual practices should be held on to, obviously with instructions from one's teacher, and not determined by other people's gossip or other people's opinion. There was a incident in Holy Mother's household when the uh, women of the household began to debate whether one of the young monastic girls, Durgama, who is the disciple of uh, Gorima, should eat fish or not. And this became a great debate, as these things do. Uh, they said, well, she's only not eating fish because Gorima doesn't eat fish. And she's a young girl, and she probably needs fish. And so this became a great topic of conversation. So finally, Holy Mother, probably to stop it, went and asked Gorima, do you want to eat fish? And she said, no, I don't want to eat fish. And Mother said to her, if you don't want to, even if I say it, say, do it, don't do it. And if you do want to do it, even if I say don't do it, do it. This was in reference to strongly held spiritual practices which vegetarianism would be for her. I was very blessed to meet Gopesh Maharaj, who was one of uh, Holy Mother's attendants. Uh, he served Holy Mother as a young monk, and when the temple at Jairambati was open, he was chosen to be the pujari there. And once when people were talking to him about Holy Mother, they asked him, Maharaj, were you aware that you were serving the mother of the universe when you were serving Holy Mother? And he said, no. For us, she was like an ordinary village woman. But one thing we did notice, and that was the quality of her character was exceptional. 
Holy Mother was left behind to show the motherhood of God. And a mother always sees the best in her children. For the mother, every child is exceptional and good. There is a story with one of our devotees that her son, who was about 14 at that time, he and a couple of friends had a slingshot. And they realized that they could shoot out the streetlights. So they shot out a few of these streetlights, whereupon one of the neighbors called the police. And the police came and took them down to the police station. And of course, they called his mother. And she came down, and she thought, no, he's a young man. It's good that he learns the consequences of this kind of action. So she waited there one hour, two hours, three hours. And after four hours, she began to get really concerned. So she went up to the sergeant at the desk and said, look, they're really good boys. I know what they did was mischievous, but they're really good boys. And this old sergeant looked at her and said, you're the mother? And she said, yes. And he said, they always say that. <laughs> but Holy Mother was able to attain this attitude towards all people. She prayed that she wouldn't see the faults in others. Even when someone was having a so-called illicit relationship, Holy Mother's attitude, and everyone was buzzing and criticizing, Holy Mother's attitude was, look how beautifully he takes care of her. She practiced great gratitude and appreciativeness for all that was done. There's an account of when she uh, came to somebody's home and she noticed all the special things that had been done and showed her appreciation for it. We also know the story of Nevedita when she took a piece of paper and covered up a bare lamp bulb. Holy Mother would show people and say how grateful she was. Holy Mother stresses that when we discuss the faults of other people, it injures our own spiritual life because our minds have to become absorbed in this for us to talk about it. And so we then begin to take a share of the qualities that are discussed. Renunciation, Holy Mother says, was Sri Ramakrishna's jewel. And we see that Holy Mother also practiced renunciation, particularly through generosity and thoughtfulness of the needs of others rather than of herself. She would, when people brought all kinds of wonderful special food and sweets, she'd take just a little bit so they wouldn't feel badly, but then she would take great joy in seeing that everybody else got some. When someone gave her a special chudder, her first thought was, oh, my mother would really like this. Holy Mother gives us example of offering everything first to God to remind us that nothing really belongs to us and everything is given to him, us by God and belongs to him. She stressed particularly food, offering what we eat, because this is a way of purifying the food. If we offer it, even if we're at a restaurant or something, to offer it mentally so that our body and minds become purified through the food. We see also in Holy Mother's life great examples of patience. Swami Vivekananda's ideal of service of all human beings as manifestations of the divine. This was his ideal. But it's much easier to serve a stranger than it is to serve the people that we live day in with day in and day out. When we go through difficult times, we tend to take it out on the people that we are closest to particularly those who are serving elderly parents who 
want to be independent but really can no longer be independent or teenagers who want to be independent but are not really quite mature enough yet to be independent. Holy Mother had a very difficult family. Her brothers were very attached to money. When I first came here, I was taking letters to Swami Prabhavananda and he would see an air folder as they had in those days and he'd see the name on the air folder and he would say, oh, Holy Mother's relative, they're going to want money. <laughs> and they usually did. Radu's mother was mentally ill and it is not easy to live with people who are mentally ill. Even Sri Ramakrishna, at one point Holy Mother said, well, he's a lot easier to serve now, he's a picture. <laughs> Throughout all these difficult circumstances, Holy Mother shows us an ideal of patience and loving service that isn't dependent on the qualities of the person that we're serving. She teaches that to love all equally, do not demand anything from those you love, because some will give you more and some will give you less, so you won't be able to love everybody the same way. As with all Holy Mother's teachings, it's very simple and very practical and deceptively easy. Holy Mother was very patient, but she didn't tolerate abuse. There is one incident where a man outside was beating his wife. And normally Holy Mother, who would never speak, who was always veiled, she went out on the veranda and started shouting and shouting until he stopped. There's another story where a man came and complained to Holy Mother about his wife. He said, I am so angry and so fed up with her, I have the desire to kill her. And at that point, Holy Mother became very excited. She said, by what right should you kill another human being? She extended her right hand and said to him, show me by touching me that you're without sin. Your anger is so strong, who are you to snatch away a life that God has given? I'm telling you, never raise your hand to a woman. At this, the man became absolutely silent at this rebuke from the normally very quiet Holy Mother and begged his forgiveness, her forgiveness. From this, we can learn from Holy Mother that we practice patience with the difficulties of others. And we certainly don't try to see the faults. But when we see a wrong, abuse, or cruelty, we have a responsibility to take a stand and do everything we can to stop it. This, of course, would go on and be developed in the Nuremberg ethic. We see Holy Mother as a living example of interfaith relations. Amjad was obviously Muslim, but he's not just Muslim, he was also a thief and he'd spent some time in jail. But he served Holy Mother lovingly. The story tells us that he could get things for Holy Mother that other people couldn't get, and I, I never like to explore that too deeply, but anyway, <laughs> Holy Mother living out in Jairamati was very grateful. When, but of course the people who lived with her were a bit more critical of him and said, you know, he shouldn't he could come to see Holy Mother, he shouldn't be coming into the house, he shouldn't be this. And Holy Mother stopped them. She said, no, Amjad is my son, just as Rakal, Swami Brahmananda, is my son. The story, as I said, Holy Mother supervised 
the agricultural work of her uh, family home. And because of the feelings towards Muslims in those days, although the workers were Muslim, when they fed them, the people who were serving threw the food at them. And Holy Mother stopped that. She said, no, I I'll take care of them. And she lovingly fed them as she would have fed any person or any member of her family. And if the food was too hot, sometimes when they were very hungry, she would fan it and cool it down. Ramakrishna, by his sadhana, established the harmony of religions. And Swamiji taught us that not tolerance, but acceptance. But acceptance of religious belief is not necessarily the acceptance of those who practice them. The United States Constitution gives freedom of people to practice their religion. But after 9-11, Sikhs were shot. And those of us who are in interfaith circles know that whenever there is an attempt to build something that isn't a Christian church, somehow the parking always becomes a major issue. And we've banded together to help in several cases like this. It's easy to believe in a principle, but Holy Mother shows us how to live in non-judgmental, loving acceptance of those whose faith is different from ours, and to try to give service to all people in any way that we can. Similarly, we ascribe to a global culture for economic reasons. Now, Holy Mother was extremely conservative. She would always ask the villagers and try not to upset them. But when Sister Nevedita came, who would have been, of course, a complete outside, even the lowest caste, Holy Mother accepted her and Sister Deva Mata completely. Once there was a incident where Deva Mata and Holy Mother were having a conversation, and Holy Mother was speaking in Bengali and Deva Mata was speaking in English, and tears were coming down their faces. And after a while, the brahmachari couldn't handle this anymore, and he said, how can you be having this conversation? You don't speak a word of English, and she doesn't speak a word of Bengali. And Holy Mother told him, hearts have their own language, you know. That's why things can be understood from heart to heart. For Holy Mother, there was a global devotee culture that didn't depend on what nationality a person was. All were hers and Ramakrishna's children. Likewise, in an era when immigration issues are very controversial, she shows us how to live with loving acceptance of the strangers among us. Sri Ramakrishna stressed that God has become all this. And for Holy Mother, the whole universe was a living, conscious manifestation of the divine. Once, when they were on pilgrimage in Puri, Ramlal Dada's wife was complaining about the noise of the ocean. Some people will complain about anything. Anyway, she was complaining about the noise of the ocean. And Holy Mother told her the story of how the gods and goddesses churned the ocean. The jewels and the sun and the moon all finally came out. And finally, his daughter, Lakshmi, came out of the ocean. And Holy Mother says, is the father's pain any less than the mother's? The ocean cries out to get his daughter back. Once, Radu threw a cat out of a window. 
And mother was very upset about this. She says, what have you done, Ruddy? Shiva is in every living being. That was cruel. And she went down to get the cat, but someone had already brought it up for her. And she took it on his lap and gave it milk and petted it and took care of it until it recovered. Even a broom, when someone threw it aside, Holy Mother said, no, it should be treated with respect. Brahman even pervades the broom and should be treated with respect. Holy Mother didn't waste any resources. If there was peel, she saw that it was given to a cow. There is a story once where some people brought things in baskets and the monks emptied the baskets and then threw them away. And the Holy Mother said, that's monks, they can renounce. But we don't waste things like that. And she went and had the baskets washed out and reused. So Holy Mother is also the patron saint of recycling. <laughs> Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda had great compassion for the state of women. But at that time, in those place and the circumstances, only a woman would be able to teach a woman because only a woman basically would have access to other women. To say that she had never, the sun had never seen her face was regarded as a great compliment to a woman. It means she had been so in Purda, so veiled, so within the household that her purity was unquestionable. And so Thakur and Swamiji also realized that women in these, who had grown up in these circumstances would be very hesitant to open their hearts and talk openly with men. So Thakur taught Holy Mother, how to give spiritual instruction and direction. And at first she was very reluctant to do this. But we have many stories that illustrate her skilled spiritual counseling. And each one different for different people, but of course with the limitation that women had in that era economically. There was once a very beautiful woman who came to see Holy Mother. Her husband was quite wealthy and a good man, but he wasn't good looking. And this lady was very proud of her beauty and very unhappy about her husband's appearance. And she would do anything to avoid having a relationship with him. So she heard that Holy Mother had lived a celibate life with her husband and she thought this was perhaps potentially possible for her too. And so in similar circumstances, and she could leave her husband and live a celibate life too. So she went to get Holy Mother's blessings. But Holy Mother was very annoyed. She said to her, don't utter such words. It's a sin to even hear such words. The husband and Narayana are one and the same. Can one forsake him? If one leaves one's husband because of his bad looks, then what's left in a woman's life? Go and ask forgiveness from your husband. Offer your beauty at his feet. How long can beauty last? If you get a serious disease, where will your beauty go? Women should not boast of their beauty. Heartbroken with disappointment, the woman left. But not too long afterwards, she came back. She'd had smallpox, and we don't see smallpox nowadays, but it is very scarring, and her beauty had been completely destroyed. And her whole mental state had also been transformed by this. And she asked for Holy Mother's forgiveness and blessings. She understood that beautiful looks are not really the important thing. And also, of course, how it feels when you're not beautiful and people look on you with rejection. 
And Holy Mother blesses her and says, Be happy in the service of your husband. There was another young girl who had just recently been married, and she was staying at her father's house. And of course, in those days, just married means probably about 13. And her husband came to collect her. He came with some of his companions, and they were all drunk. And the father did not want to give over the young girl to these drunken young men. He did everything he could to persuade the son-in-law, please come and stay the night, and then tomorrow you can leave. But the husband would hear nothing of it. He said, either you give her over, or this marriage is finished. But the, the father, for the safety of his daughter, he just said no. Two days later, they received notification. The man had remarried, and the marriage was over. The parents were devastated for this young girl now. What kind of life would she live? Remarriage was out of the question, of course, at that time. The father took her on pilgrimage. She went to Brindaban, and she was initiated. During this time, she met Gauri Ma and Durgapuri Devi, who, of course, were both living, were both nuns and very close companions of Holy Mother. And she asks them, where did this bhava, this, where did you get this spiritual mood? Can one really live an entire life joyfully if one just devotes oneself to God? And they tell her, you need to go and see Holy Mother. And so she goes and sees Holy Mother. And she asks Holy Mother, I, I try to practice sadhana, I try to live the Lord, but will I succeed for a whole lifetime? She's so young. And Holy Mother tells her, forget the past, Ma, and entrust your body, mind, and heart to Radha Kovinda. Call on him wholeheartedly. He is the Lord of this world as well as the next. If you know him, you will taste unparalleled joy in this life. So she goes and spends her life practicing sadhana and practicing the bhava of Krishna as her husband. Not long after, or a long time later, but her, her husband dies, and Dugapuri Devi meets her up with her again and says, you're not wearing the clothes of a widow. Don't you feel even a little sorrow that this man has now died, that your husband is no more? And her response is, I'm with the same Govinda at whose feet Holy Mother offered me. He's not dead. I'm still a married woman. I have no sorrow. Feminists who may not appreciate some of the more uh, hidden aspects of Mother, the fact that, you know, if you have your skirt above your knees, then you might as well be naked, and some of these kind of teachings. But they can see and appreciate the encouragement of the things that were to become the major themes of the women's movement. And we see this also, along with his conservatives, and we also see this in Holy Mother's life. When Durgapuri Devi, her uh, disciple, took, was given sannyas at 13 by Holy Mother, 
The first thing Holy Mother told her after her sannyas was preach, my daughter, preach. Giving her the authority as a young woman to go out and to talk, which again was rather rare at that time, that women should have an equal voice with men. Her absolute refusal to accept abuse and her support of education for women. When Radhu had had a little bit of education and Golapma said, look, I think she's had enough. She should stay at home now. And Radhu didn't want to stay at home. She wanted to go back to school. And Holy Mother says, let her go to school. She can do immense good to others if she gets an education and learns some useful arts in the school. Excuse me. <coughs> She has been married in a backward village. Through education, she will not only improve herself, but be able to help others. And we now know that, of course, the fastest way of raising uh, the economic status of a culture is through education of women. Paradoxically, and perhaps this is the third reason, that Holy Mother chose this very orthodox, conservative model, is that it paradoxically enabled her to accomplish things. When Sister Nevedita came, her acceptance of Nevedita became particularly meaningful. When they were trying to get young Brahmin widow girls to come to Nevedita's school, the fact that Holy Mother supported it, someone who was so conservative, someone who was so careful in these areas, I think probably gave it an additional uh, power because, well, if she accepts it, it must be all right because everyone knows she's so conservative. She embodied Swami Vivekananda's ideal of immense spirituality with immense practicality. From her childhood, she was very devoted to her own mother, who relied on her as an advisor and guardian, particularly after her husband died. But she never demanded anything from the sons she realized that they were not as capable as Holy Mother was. And she'd asked Mother to look after them after my death, otherwise they will be lost. And I think this is why Holy Mother keeps going back to Jairambati, because she is having to take care of the family business. Swami Vivekananda and the other disciples of Sri Ramakrishna would consult her and get her blessings and guidance before they undertook new tasks. So when we meditate on the mystery of Holy Mother's life, we see indeed her as a model, not only for women, but for all spiritual aspirants. But Holy Mother's grace goes on working. Those who take refuge in her are even today under her loving protection. There's a story that happened a few, not very long ago, in Kamapuko. The Kamapuko cook was scrubbing cooking vessels on the guard steps, and he slipped and cracked his head and became unconscious. Now, this is Kamapuko. So inevitably, in the Ramakrishna mission, there were devotee doctors there. And they said, Maharaj, the Swami was very concerned. They said, Maharaj, don't worry. You know, he'll regain consciousness in an hour or two. Just you know, put him to bed. So they put him to bed. Well, he didn't regain consciousness in an hour or two. He didn't regain consciousness in uh, a day or two. And by this time, the Swami was really very worried because it's out in a village. There are no medical facilities to take care of head injuries. And 
how do you get him there? Put him on a bus? Put him on an ambulance over those kind of rickety roads? Uh, anything didn't seem like a very good solution. And so I strongly suspect, because 99.9% .9 of the Ramakrishna order monks, when they come across real problems, go to Holy Mother. So I strongly suspect that he went to Holy Mother with his problems. But anyway, after a couple of days, uh, they have brought the cook's mother to sit with him and to help take care of him. At dusk, the mother was sitting alone with him. Everybody else was at Arati. And a young woman came. And she came and said, Mother, I, I've come from Jairambati, and I brought you an amulet. And if you put this amulet on your son's arm, he will be cured. He'll be all right. And she said, I'll sit with him for a little while. You, you can go and take a little break, take a little rest. So the mother went off for a little while and came back and then said goodbye to this young woman. Very shortly after, the Swami came and she told him, oh, this is what happened. We got this amulet from Jairambati. So the Swami went trying to find the young woman, but she had completely disappeared. The next morning, the cook sat bolt upright in bed, completely okay. The Swami was so relieved. And he went and called the Jairambati Swami and he said, thank you so much for sending me that young woman with the amulet. And the Jairambati Swami said, what young woman with the amulet? And he said, well, the young woman that came at dusk and she had an amulet, she said it was from, and he said, brother, in this area, young women do not wander around in the dark by themselves between Jairambati and Kamapuko. And the Swami realized and went to the shrine and made pranams. Holy Mother teaches us that each one of us is a manifestation of the Divine Mother. And the purpose of our life is to live in experiential awareness of our true divine sense of identity and to manifest this in every aspect of our lives. In simple, though not necessarily easy, ways, she shows us the methods of doing this among the ordinary and daily circumstances of our lives. She shows us exemplary qualities of character among difficult people and in difficult circumstances. And as our mother, she's given us an eternal promise that she's always there to provide us with the grace of encouragement and support to attain these ideals, provided we're prepared to strive to the maximum of our capacity and to take refuge 